0: podcast where we believe that through books and banter, all is possible. I'm Steph, aka Ideally Inspired Reviews on Instagram, and I'm joined by...
1: I'm Ava of Kingdom of Mass on Instagram.
0: So today we're going to be discussing Crown of Midnight, the second book of the Throne of Glass series, aka... The era of Fire prequel, as Ava put in the script. Um, I, I never know what I should write
1: for like your introduction. Like I don't want to leave it completely blank, but I also don't want to like assume that that's what you're gonna want to say so I just but i also put love that, something that i think you're gonna say i figured you would i felt actually quite confident about that one i was like yeah she'll vibe with this
0: i did uh <laughs> yeah for those of you who are new around here era Fire is my favorite book so i'm very excited to be one book closer to my favorite book of the series So honestly, one of my favorite books of all time, for real. Like, I'm obsessed with Air of Fire. But anyways, this episode isn't about Air of Fire. It's about Crown of Midnight. Absolutely, which is still important, and
1: actually a book that I ended up savoring much more than I have during any other previous rereads. Um, I think that this reread made me appreciate it so much more. and I say that as someone who also viewed it as something to just muscle through before reaching Air of Fire. Like, we've spoken about this a little bit, but I think both Steph and I were fans of Sarah J Mass by the time we were reading Throne of Glass and Crown of Midnight. But I don't think either of us would have called each other like stans, like rabid fangirls until Air of Fire. At least that's not the case for me. I think that it took air of fire before I was like, all right, everyone sit down and shut up. I'm going to fall <laughs> in love with this author forever. It's fine. Yeah. Um, and that didn't happen until the year of our Lord and Savior, 2015. <laughs> <laughs> um, so speaking of... How, uh What format did we read Crown of Midnight in? I guess that's not speaking of. I tried to come up with a clever transition, and then my brain like fell out. So just ignore that transition, everyone. Um Steph, what format did you read? Air, uh que- Oh, my God. Okay. Just go. Just start talking. I can't. Bless I'm your done.
0: Heart. <laughs> Um <laughs> I actually did Crown of Midnight as a full audio reread, uh, mainly because – I read it after I came home from Maui, so I was still severely jet lagged. And, uh, so I, my sleeping schedule was completely off and it was just a lot easier to get through it in audio and not because of the content. Obviously it was just because of my brain, it was a lot easier (laughs) to do it in audio. What about you?
1: Um, so I read my standard us paperback copy. But it was really fun. So I've like tabbed Sarah's books before, usually um, whenever my favorite characters appear. Uh, But this time I tabbed for favorite quotes and favorite scenes and like foreshadowing and characters. Um, So now my paperback copy has so many little tabs and sticky notes. Um, I used orange, of course, because that's the color of the cover. But I'm so pissed because I ran out of orange stickies. Like, six chapters before the end and a lot happens in those six chapters so obviously I had to tab them but I had to use a different color oh. so that's really disappointing that it's not <laughs> all cohesive anyway some more things that you don't care about it's fine um but it is it it does bother me genuinely I have just enough OCD to get pissed about that yeah, well. um it's fine okay so let's dive right into the content. Um, Steph, what was your favorite scene or theme, whatever, from Crown of Midnight?
0: Ooh, <sighs> Well. Um...
1: <laughs> I feel like this book is really depressing, actually. So Right. I was laugh. literally going <laughs> to be like,
0: um, <laughs> uh, okay, so this is going to contradict a lot of my feels. Oh, wow. Uh, Holy no. shit.
1: Okay. All right, everyone. I'm like, I'm glad I'm sitting down.
0: <laughs> this is going to contradict. I will say that one of the things that I enjoyed in Crown of Midnight was the romantic dance between mm. Selena yes. and Kale. Oh, my um, God. However that does not mean i warmed up to kale (laughs) i'm just saying i enjoyed it because that's one of my favorite things in romance books in general like i love like the whole like like let's dance around our feelings thing um i feel like selena was way too good for kale but that's neither here nor there um (laughs) anyways that's that's my favorite thing about <laughs> about Crown of Midnight, because honestly, it's depressing as fuck. So uh, It really is. <laughs> yeah. And I will say early on, I enjoyed Archer in the beginning. And then obviously, uh, well, that went to shit. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: I did not see that coming the first time that I read it um, in any way, shape, or form. I sort of saw the twist that we get at the very end, um, right. where I guess I can say it now. That Selena yeah. is Aelin. Damn, that feels good. Um, <laughs> it's been so hard. <laughs> it has been so hard. Um, but when like the first moment that Aelin Galathinius's name was mentioned, I was like, I bet that's Selena when I first read it. Just because it's a um, it's a fairly typical YA pattern, I think. And I mean, Sarah does a great job of like laying those foundations so that unless you're kale and kind of stupid, like it (laughs) it comes together pretty quickly. You said it, Um, not me. Uh. (laughs) I'm sorry. I had to make that joke there. No offense to kale lovers. um, But I just, I had, I I saw an opportunity and I couldn't not take it. Um, That being said, I did not see the Archer thing coming at all. I was like, oh my God during all of those scenes um, towards the end. But anyway, Archer is definitely not my favorite part or scene from this book. My favorite scene is actually when Dorian and Selena are in the library and they team up to take down um, the creature that they find under the library that was like experimented on by um, the king however many decades previous and has like been living down there being gross and weird in the dark. Kind of like a demented little Harry Potter. <laughs> I don't know. Um, anyway, I just, I loved that. First of all, they got to work together. That's always great because I think that Selena and Dorian had been very tense for the most of this book, which I hate seeing. I hate it when their relationship's on the Fritzes. And then the second thing that I love is that Dorian actually got to be the one to kind of bail her out in that moment. Um, I think we see a lot of, like, Selena saving the prince, which is an awesome subversion of the prince saving the princess trope. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do love that he got to, like, step up and kind of be like, no, I'll help too, um, and, like, be more assertive in a, um, like, protective sense. Yeah. Um, his, his development was really great, and I just love that I got to see him engage with his magic in a way that wasn't totally, like, fear-based, um like he was using it to help his friend, which I think is gonna be very important in later books in terms of like his mental framing of his magic and right. what it well, means for him. I mean so, and let's
0: be real, Dorian supremacy. So um, Right.
1: Exactly. This is all just Dorian propaganda. This is legit a <laughs> Dorian
0: stan podcast forever. <laughs> um we should true. just change it to the Dorian Stan podcast. Dorian-tastic. Yeah, Dorian-tastic. Langtastic. <laughs> <Prince-ling-tastic. laughs> um Yeah, I'm, yeah, no, no, I, I agree with you. I mean, honestly, I guess that should have also been my second answer. I love how much Dorian there is in this book. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and it's good like, and I bad, actually... I love it. no i actually like dorian more in this book than in throne of glass i think that he has more agency in this book which is not to say that he was like boring or anything in throne of glass but he really starts to step up to the plate and like ask questions that are so important
0: right Um, he's not being a yes man not that he really was before but he was just more like doing whatever he needed to to not have to deal with his father too much but like now he's just like like you said like he's pushing back a little bit he's yeah he's taking up for himself more
1: becoming a man like YA stories are coming of age stories and we're really starting to see Dorian like come into his own which is very very exciting I forget sometimes that Kale is the oldest of all of them because he (laughs)
0: which makes it even (laughs) listen (laughs) anytime kale's name gets brought up in this episode it's just gonna be a visceral like but no i listen Uh, should i just get it out of the way i mean i'm just saying like i feel like kate that's part of the reason why i get so angry about kale is because he is the oldest one like he should have be better like you're the old person here like Mm. lead by example sir like, I know that he he's, just, like, trying to be the responsible captain of the guard, but, like, Anyway. Yeah, you know,
1: he just... He, it's funny because, like, he prides himself so much on his loyalty, right? He's like, I'm loyal to Adderland I'm loyal to Adderlyn. And then his friends are like, we might have magic. And he's like, I've never met you in my life. I don't want to know about it. I don't want to see it. Like, it's just a very... Like, he's loyal to his fears before he's loyal to his friends, I think. And that is something that gets played out. And Which is not to say that he doesn't struggle in Crown of Midnight. I think he does. I think, you know, there are the moments where Selena takes huge risks. She comes to him after she's been poisoned by the Gloriella, which is a huge fuck-up. And if the king knew, that would be a big problem. Um, and Kale decides to keep his mouth shut. And then I think there's the moment where, you know, she tells him that she's not killing the rebels. Um, And that's also significant that he doesn't go to the king. My issue is that he's so torn about it. Like, boy, do you not see what a nasty colonizer the man you work for is? Like, what, what has he done specifically to earn your loyalty? Like, I almost wish we'd gotten a story of like kale in his, like youth because
0: the, I don't welcome get it. <laughs> to w- welcome to life of someone with privilege like you grew up right. with privilege in nobility in a way and so it's difficult to understand the the position of the oppressed when you've been part of the society of the oppressor right Right. so like i think that that's the i mean it's just privilege at its best like in the sense of kale Mm -hmm. kale at least because dorian is a completely different story where you know of course he and we get to we learn more about dorian even young dorian in later books because we get like a little bit of a flashback um coming up in i believe in era fire so keep an eye out for that um so we we understand why dorian is the way that he is even in throne of glass before like the I mean. real growth that we see because technically on 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 paper dorian is only like a year older than I'm um, mm-hmm. yeah well I, now i can call her aelin thank god okay um <laughs> i was like oh god selena i mean um but he's only a year older than her so i feel like we can forgive a lot of Ignorance yeah. and things. And again, Kale was raised essentially, I mean, technically he he went again, his fa- went against his father's wishes by being captain of the guard. Like his father wanted him to stay like right. to basically take on the role of, of the nobility. Um, But I, I think that that's like your point here is like the perfect example of what it's like to have privilege which no, can translate totally. to real life because it's kind of like, it's, it's hard for him to accept a lot of things because I mean, right. it's, it's, it's the situation that he's always been in and that's all he's known. And so, but I'm not going to continue to make excuses for kale. I'm just saying.
1: <laughs> right. I just, cause I think that, I think my struggle is that I, like I, I totally agree with the, the point of privilege and the fact that, you know, he has been in this privileged position was born into it. Um, Where my hesitation with his characterization in this book is just that, you know, so has Dorian. Dorian was also raised with privilege. Aelin is, you know, a lost queen. So obviously she was raised with privilege. And I know that, you know, Selena went through much more traumatic shit than either of these two growing up. Um, But it feels like everyone in the universe is not turning a blind eye, including the privileged people, Nahemia being one of them. Because um, you know she is a queen or princess um, to what is happening, and Kale's the only one who's like, I don't, I don't see it. And it's like you don't even need to, you know, talk about the the morality of these things because you can like see them like it's fact. There's no, there's nothing up for debate here. Um, like Selena being slain. I mean, the king murders like 500 people in one go and like so the facts are all there and kale still spends the the whole book like up his ass i'm sorry okay okay i'm getting Mm -hmm. like worked up now it's fine okay um we have to move on we have to move on (laughs) Uh because i don't want to alienate people who love kale and like see themselves in him um i like
0: well at the same time okay let's just preface it with the same look we're not gonna yuck anybody's yum here like if you love a character that we don't particularly love I mean Ava and I look we both go through this too with our discussions with characters in the series just like you said early on like you found a more of an appreciation for Kale this read along Mm -hmm. than you have previously whereas with me something we talked about off air was that I feel like every time I do a reread I've fall more and more out of love and with Kale. Um, not to say that there was a lot of love to be lost but like just I, I I get more and more furious about his character but that's just based in my experience I'm not going to bash anybody who does like him and say oh yeah you're wrong I'm right. just gonna further you know defend why I feel the way that I feel and the same thing as Ava does like so in us talking about our personal opinions about these characters or scenes or books or whatever, we're not, that does not mean that it, like you said, it doesn't take away from anybody else's love for the characters or the scenes or the books. So just putting that out there.
1: Totally. Um, yeah, this is, this really, it is a safe, it's a safe place. Okay. Everyone can voice their opinions and We were, I'm Like, I am great friends with so many people who love Kale, and I totally get why they love Kale. So it's not like I don't see the appeal of his character. And like Steph said, I actually did have more appreciation for him in the sense that I think, like, I just felt bad for him. Because he has, because he does, like, his father is a piece of shit who's pretty manipulative. And if you know he kind of sees the king as like his way of escaping his father so in a sense you know he is just trying to get away from someone he does perceive to be like his own personal tyrant and that's his father and the king offered him a way out and so you know in that sense i get it i just i do harbor some frustration at the way that he reacts to certain things and i actually like i have very few complaints about the series like very like almost none but one of the things that I wish we'd gotten more of is like why does he hate magic so much like why is he so scared of it like I would understand if he'd had a bad past with magic if you know someone in his immediate family had been like murdered or hurt because of it um I just well do you want my theory on this because I have a theory on it
0: absolutely I have a theory theory okay My my theory on why Kale feels this way about magic, I think it is a trauma of his youth in the sense of if you think about everything that happened in this world 10 Mm -hmm. years before the beginning of this series with all of like basically all these people were rounded up and murdered who... Had any drops of magic in these kinds of things. So it's like part of like he grew up believing that these people were yeah. bad. And I think that that's ultimately where his prejudices, for lack of a better term, come from with people and magic and things, uh, which I think is why he had such a visceral reaction to. Aelin's powers manifesting Mm -hmm. um, or her abilities manifesting and the idea of all these other people in his life having magic or people that he had come in contact, whatever. Like, I think that's part of the reason why he feels the way that he feels. And again, it's not to say that he's right in feeling certain things, but it's difficult for me reading that in in him having such a reaction to people that he genuinely Mm -hmm. cares about and then like not being able to see past it because it's like clearly this person was somebody that you air a shared a bed with um shared your life with i mean he pretty much like devoted his life into being dorian's guard um his captain so like these are people that you dedicated your life to and your, your love yeah. to, and you can't, like... And it's
1: conditional.
0: Put that aside for yeah. five fucking minutes. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, like even right. Dory. Like, anybody else... Okay, I get it. Like, Selena, Aylin situation, that, that may be a little jarring in general. Not even just the magic, just, like... Holy shit, like she's right. not who I thought she was. Like whatever, I get that. But then the whole Dorian thing, that's what yeah. makes me more mad, to no, be perfectly totally. honest. I get more mad and about that.
1: Actually, speaking of that, <laughs> so. I think that there were like there were moments where Kale and Selena are cute. Um, like you say the scene where they dance, I thought that was cute. There's the scene where she tells him that like he reminds her of what the world can be, and I just think that's a great quote and I was like, "Oh. That's adorable. Um, but I think what really prevented me from shipping the two of them, like even the first time that I read these books before knowing, you know, sort of what happens between them and later books, um, I hated how their relationship drew such a wedge between him and Dorian. Like, I hate, I mean, I don't necessarily mind love triangles. But I think that this one was silly, not from like the way that Sarah wrote it, but like from the way that um, like Kale and Dorian had such a close relationship. And then Kale got with Selena and they were both like, grr. And like, and I mean that in the sense that it wasn't just Dorian like being occasionally jealous when he'd see them together. Cause I feel like that's that's valid, that's fine. But it's like, Kale's literally sleeping with her and he still gets jealous in moments where like dorian and, A- and selena are talking and i'm like what are you dude like you quote unquote won. like why are you still being weird about this anyway. yeah <laughs> anyway i just i don't love it when romantic relationships upend platonic relationships and i mean this like across the board and i'm not necessarily saying that's like exactly what happens but i guess if we want to talk about tropes that i hate i hate it when (laughs) romances come in between like friendships like if anything they should just you know heighten all of the relationships in your life and make you like more grateful for them but when they like have a negative effect which i think is i think that says a lot about the future of aelin's romantic attachments Mm -hmm. that neither kale nor dorian were completely happy if she was with one of them um so anyway Uh, um i feel like okay maybe we move on to something a little bit happier how about well okay i say happier
0: (laughs) happier as in joke we didn't have so much trauma in this book but
1: (laughs) um (laughs) No, this one's actually vaguely, not vaguely. It's more traumatic. Let's talk about Nehemia and Selena. Really? Um, really? <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't know why I prefaced that with, this is going to be happier. Um, that well, was it's why. different
0: because Kale's not involved-ish. Um, <laughs> <sighs> OK, so here's the thing. I I think we talked about this in a previous, not in a Throne of Glass episode, but I feel like it was like in a, just a standard e that we did um this was an unpopular opinion of mine that i had um fandom wise Mm -hmm. where i know that it was traumatic it was a traumatic experience for the reader too um with her dying and especially a how she was killed but b that whole situation where you felt you thought that oh god it could have been prevented you thought oh god kale like kale's fault um then you think all these other things like (laughs) yeah but my unpopular opinion was that i i can understand the purpose of her death and yeah it is sad it's gut-wrenching i mean we still live through the trauma of Nahemia's death even after this book uh it's Mm -hmm. still something that is regularly felt and discussed and comes up so so it's not like it's just like a one and done and let's forget about this character like no like her character still lives on in a way um because we're still we still talk about her in future books but anyways i feel as if Sadly, <laughs> even as like, I think that this gets brought up in Crown of Midnight and I'm sorry if it doesn't. This isn't really a spoiler if it isn't in Crown of Midnight. But like, I feel like it's something it might have been in Assassin's Blade where Arabin brings up the fact that, like, it takes Selena, ha- not necessarily not so many words, like it takes her having a trauma for her to like be activated, if that makes sense. Like, so. To some extent, Nehemia knew that. Yeah. Um, And knew that her death was a means to an end in the sense of like, she needed to spur Selena slash Aelin into action. And she knew that the only way that that would happen is if she died in the manner in which she died, not necessarily like the method of which, but just. Her death, the untimely death. Um, right. And yeah, I mean, I think that that I mean, for the same reason, like in in Assassin's Blade, where she it, it took Sam's death for her to be like, f- yeah. like, let's fucking let's go. Um, yeah. You know, so I, I think I think that it was it was it was it had to happen and it sucks right. that it did. But like. It had to happen. Um, I still haven't made my peace with how she died because holy shit. But at least her death was avenged (laughs) in this book. It wasn't something we had to wait for. So, yeah. Yikes. Um,
1: I think... So regarding the relationship between Nahemia and Selena, I it like breaks my heart because it is so good. Like their relationship is so beautiful. They're so um, like, I, you know, if you, I hope I hope you all listened to our Throne of Glass recap episode. Um, but Steph says that those two are essentially soulmates in the way that, you know, you can have a platonic soulmate, which I totally agree with. Um, and so seeing their relationship and the way that they'd, you know, play with Fleetfoot in the early mornings and Nehemia would teach uh, Selena, the the word marks and everything. like there are just so many beautiful components to that relationship. And I think that it's one of the reasons why Selena was able to continue like working for a man who is responsible for all of the trauma in her life essentially is because she has, you know, nahemia there to kind of keep her grounded and keep her happy. Um, and that trust gets like broken. When it's revealed that Dahemia manipulated this situation into happening, mm-hmm. um, we find out that she manipulated Archer Finn into um, having her assassinated so that Selena can wake up. And I think that again, that's something that is is brutal. <laughs> um, but it also, I think it forces Selena to come to terms with the other relationships in her life. So it's traumatic, but she breaks up with Kale because they're not compatible um, in the sense that she needs to do, she needs to get her shit together and do stuff that is going to be hard. Um, And he can't handle that. Like he's just, he's not that man who can go on that journey with her as we see. Um, Same thing with Dorian, you know, his, his magic is obviously very important. And, um, you know, he also has the unfortunate context of being, you know, the king's son. So like that romantic relationship was never really going to pan out. I don't think as much as I love them together. Um, But I think that Nehemia's death kind of awakened Aylan or Selena to the, to these facts and made her have to confront the fact that she can't keep hiding. Mm-hmm. um And I, like, like you said, I don't think that would have happened had Nehemia not died. Like, let's pretend for a minute that Nehemia was still alive and we got to see these two badass girl bosses, like, conquer the king and take over and, like, do what needs to be done. And rule and live happily ever after. It's a happy thought, but I don't think that anything other than Nehemia's death would have spurred Selena to take up that responsibility. I literally I don't even know if it's like Nehemia's death necessarily, but the fact that Selena like swore an oath to Nehemia that she would free Eelwi, like it's not even Tarasen that she's focused on at that point. She's like I like if, when Nehemia dies and she makes that promise, it's Selena saying, "I am going to like kill the king. She doesn't necessarily jump immediately to I'm going to reclaim my throne. It's I'm actually going to usurp this man and get him out of here. Um, and that's a step that I don't think would have been taken had Nehemia lived. I think she would have shunted that responsibility to Nehemia, who is a badass and very powerful in her own right, but maybe isn't quite as suited to taking on the king. Just knowing that we that he has this like ridiculous power. Um, so all of this to say it's tragic. And I, I like, I, I, I've made peace with the death in that I understand why it happened, but I'm with you Steph, on, I hate how it happened. Um, I even hate that it was necessary, but like, I do think that for this story, it was necessary. <laughs> um, ouch. I just, <laughs> but she's so, I love that she's so, you know complex too like she appears for only two books we only get her for two books and yet she's someone who aelin like confides with and trusts and she's funny um and beautiful and powerful but she's also kind of manipulative and she lies quite a bit like i love how um flawed she is um she's not i think it's something that i've seen the fandom do quite a bit and especially when people um cite her death as a reason to dislike sarah's books Um, But I've noticed that people sometimes put her up on a pedestal and I always want to be like, don't get me wrong. She's a badass and she's powerful. And I also hate that she died. Um, But she's not without her flaws, um, which is not a reason as to like, it's not a justification for her death. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that because she lied, she deserved to die. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that, like, you know, if you're going to put her on a pedestal, then I think we should also be aware that of her own flaws, um, especially in the sense that later on people will get mad at Aylin for doing essentially the same thing. I'm like, yeah. wow. <laughs> Well. <laughs> um, okay, speaking of Nehemia and kind of speaking of Dorian, let's talk about Dorian's magic. Um, do we think that Nehemia woke it up? Is that how you interpreted that scene? Because it's
0: totally... I, I yeah, no, I scene. I kind of... I feel like if it wasn't necessarily her waking up his magic, that she, like, put it on, like, fast forward. Like, mm-hmm. you know, in the sense of, like, uh, what is the word? Expedited the... <laughs> <laughs> the manifestation of his expedited of it, like she fedexed, she FedExed his yeah him. she overnighted that um <laughs> his powers uh no i uh i i i think it wasn't until this read this this go around if you will um that i noticed that or that i like that it really resonated with me because that whole moment with her and and the the runes basically that she the the word marks that she's uh, doing while they're dancing and all that stuff I was like hmm the fuck like I know and like at first I think the first time that I that I read it I think that I viewed it more as like it was a protective like thing where she wanted to talk to him in private and like you know she didn't want to be overheard discussing things but then I'm like hmm. right. But was it mainly that? I don't know. Um, I, I love that. I mean, to, to some extent, I love that she was the catalyst in Aelin putting the fire under fire, literally under Aelin's ass <laughs> to get right. moving on her, you know, her quest. <laughs> um, and then also the same thing with Dorian that she like was like, oh, right. BT dubs. <laughs> Tap into that too, bitch. Like, because, I mean, <laughs> obviously later on in the series, you know, I think we'll have a better understanding about how, um, let me not spoil, uh, how <laughs> important, um, both Dorian and Aylin are. Right. Uh, in their own. Yeah. In their own right. Um, so I, I would not I think that it's it's it it would be beautiful <laughs> if it yeah. were like legit let that Nehemia basically had a hand in both of those things um but I, I I think I I I interpreted it that way for sure yeah so
1: no same I think that you know we have that chapter where it's between. They're not named explicitly, but it's between the princess and the queen. And we only know of one princess and we only know of one queen at the time. So I feel like we can, um, interpret that Mm -hmm. (laughs) as being Nehemia and, um, Elena talking. Um, and there is that moment where she says, you know, Elena, the queen says that like they have to pick between the prince and the assassin and they pick the assassin so like there's that implication that it could have been dorian it could have been dorian to take up the mantle but he wasn't he was not ready for whatever they needed him to do Mm -hmm. um and yet i love that they don't completely you know push him off to the side like nehemia still does play a role in as we say fedexing his magic to him Mm -hmm. um so it's not you know it's not like okay well now Selena has to be the one to do everything. It's like actually she she has to be the main person, but she can have a sidekick. It's gonna be great, um, and I, I love that it kind of like forges for the rest of the books the importance of the Dorian and Ailyn relationship um, from a friendship point of view. Um, I just I yeah I actually think that this is one of um, from like a nerdy like craft writer perspective. I think this is one of like Sarah's most well written books. Um, in the sense that, like everything, is exactly where it needs to be, and we know exactly what we need to know and nothing more, and it's just so good. Um, <laughs> okay, I'm all right. Now I'm getting, I'm getting too excited. Um, so, kind of speaking of that, speaking of Elena and her role in this book, let's talk about some of the foreshadowing that happens. I like mentally skipped this book, I guess. Um, but they talk about the vogue. Like, explicitly, several times, they talk about Elena and Gavin, Dorian, um, oh, never mind, that's kind of a spoiler, I won't, I won't say that. Um, but the Valg are,
0: like, talked about. Um. Yeah. And. I mean, well, it's, it's almost like, I think, here's the thing, I think that all the things that are revealed or discussed or, talked about that obviously we learn more about later on in these books i think that with crown of midnight when you think back like when i'm when i at least for me like when i'm thinking about the significance of each book in the series the one thing that stands out to me in crown of midnight were of course nehemiah's death
1: mm-hmm. dorian's
0: magic and then K- yes. like kale Is like the thing that stands out to me. And Kale just. Yeah, well, like in the sense of like everything that with Kale in particular at the end of Crown of Midnight, just like him based, and I get it. I understand what he was trying to do. Like, oh, you tried. But like, no, that was like terrible. Like, that was a terrible decision. Um, but anyways, these are things that stand out to me. So when I go into rereading Crown of Midnight, I'm expecting like these are the points that, you know, these are what the peaks of uh, the overreaching art that we're going to get to in this book. So when we do right. gloss, not gloss over, but like do when we do get some of these other things that will be elaborated more in, in elite, even in Air of Fire, which is the next book. Like, I'm just like, oh, wow, I completely forgot that that was a thing that was in this book (laughs) because again, I'm just so mentally focused on the trauma of crown of midnight that I'm not like, Oh, like even, even, um, archers, um, rebel, like, like band of rebels that he is with, like (laughs) we get more of that in future books. Um, we get, we, we learn more about some of those people in even air of fire. So like, yeah, (laughs) i yeah. just it's so hard to talk about crown of midnight without talking about straight trauma that yeah mm-hmm. like even the valve i'm like oh yeah that's right <laughs> that was brought up and spoiler 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 which obviously we'll talk about in Era mm. fire so yeah yeah
1: um oh, i just i love it i want to talk i want it for anyone who's like reading it for the first time and like I actually, I kind of part of me hopes that the people who are reading it for the first time like finish the series before they listen to our recap episodes. Um, so that you could you'll be like, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um but I hope that people pay attention to Roland and Caltaine because I didn't pay attention to either of them the first time that I read the series, like mm-hmm. the first first time. And then Queen of Shadows, I was like, oh, gasp. <laughs> um which is, I mean, again, we talked about this in our Throne of Glass recap episode, but there's no reason to not pay attention to every single thing that Sarah J. Mass writes. Like she does not put stuff in there to just never address it again. It's like, no, no, no. You'll see that. It might take a while. Like you might have to commit. It might be a lengthy time before you see that again, but that is going to be important. It's not just like random nonsense. Um, so, and like, I mean, even Roland, like in crowd of midnight, I think part of the reason why I didn't pay attention to him the first time I read it. Cause I was, I was, I was like, what are you doing? You're not really adding to this story. And then, in, you know, later books, you get gratified. Like it pays off so well if you pay attention to these characters and like their scenes and everything. Um, yeah, so good stuff. I, I do love this book. Um, there are quite a few things that we are introduced to, not really introduced to, I guess. Like we talk about the valga a little bit more and then one of the other things that we sort of see um this was mentioned in The Assassin's Blade, but we see a witch for the first time. So we see Baba Yaga and yeah. her witch mirrors and carnival of mirrors place. Um I do not remember that scene being quite as creepy as it was.
0: <laughs> what? For it was some creepy reason, as fuck, Baba Yellow, like, like even the whole thing where like she's sucking the marrow out of the bones and like all like, this stuff, and I'm like, child, that's creepy as fuck. She has you know, a fucking I, little like oven and like a total Hansel and Gretel <laughs> moment, like.
1: Maybe I didn't like pay attention. Again, I literally think that like C- Crown of Midnight has kind of been a mental blip for me, um, um but. I, like, I did not remember that scene being as creepy as it was. Now I'm, like, I'm not traumatized because I was, like, raised on stories of <laughs> Baba Yaga, who Baba Yellow Lakes is very much based off of. Um, thanks, Grandma. Not at all traumatized. <laughs> um, but... Well, A, it was fun because I was like, oh, I remember that from my childhood. You know, like, <laughs> Slavic people, we don't watch Disney's The Little Mermaid, okay? Our mom no, and no. our grandma sit us in front of a fireplace and tell us about Baba Yellowlegs and her fucking chicken feet and broom, but it's fine.
0: <laughs> Baba Yellowlegs um, is what you just said. But... I,
1: fuck, Baba Yaga. No <laughs> <one>. Um <laughs> Any, anyway, but that scene was creepy as hell. Her, like, wagon that, like, doesn't end almost and is, like, bigger on the inside than the outside. I know that's, like, a common magical thing, but for some reason that, like, really freaks me out. <laughs> um, anyway, it's fine. Everything's fine. Um, How how did you digest that scene, though? Because I, again, can't talk about things that come up in later books,
0: but... <laughs> well, I mean, okay, so here's the thing. Um, I something a realization that um i had recently that really done shook shook me um was so like i've always been drawn to uh like the occult and like Mm -hmm. witchy things and that kind of thing right so like that's always been that's always been a thing and i've always tried to figure out like where that how that started aside from the fact like there are like some cultural aspects to it just like you were talking about slavic like for me right. growing up brazilian and like i i also have like a lot of indigenous um uh like family as well so like i kind of have like a melting pot like you know in my youth like so so mm-hmm. i'm always trying to pinpoint like which part of my culture brought me to this point that I'm in in my life type of thing. And something that somebody said to me recently that really shook me, um, and this is like mildly off topic, but one of my favorite books growing up was Matilda by Roald Dahl. And yes, I. and to this day, like if somebody asks me, what's the book that got you into reading or what's the book that like, you know, is your favorite from childhood, obviously it's Matilda. But somebody was like, do do you realize that Matilda's a witch? And I was like... (laughs) No, I didn't really put that into perspective. Like, I just literally was like, "Oh, she has like magic, <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. like yeah, she's a fucking witch." So, like that being said, I love any witch shit that's in yeah. the Throne of Glass book, and I and I'm not necessarily creeped out by it. And I like I get upset, like, and this is not a spoiler, I guess. Like, we obviously get more witch content beyond. Mm-hmm crown of midnight so if anything it got me excited with this reread to get me into more witch shit um so honestly i feel like that's the tagline of my life hashtag more witch shit (laughs) so like i i am obsessed with it and i love just i mean i know that they're like depending on which culture (laughs) you're referencing like witches can be portrayed in a creepy or dangerous manner, or they can be like in a more like, (laughs) but dude, like even uh, to be, to be perfectly honest though, like in a lot of cultures, like magic in any capacity is (laughs) bringing kale, uh, is, (laughs) is bad, not bad, but you know what I mean? Like is, is usually Ernie is usually tied into, Devil, devil's work. Right. Um so with Baba though, with it being our first glimpse into the witches of the Throne of Glass world, mm-hmm. I remember the one thing that stood out the most to me the first time I read it was I was like, oh shit, like are the witches of this series going to be evil? Like are they on the side of evil? And obviously, for those of you who this is the first time reading TBD, TBD in the future. Um, so keep an eye out. Um, but yeah, uh, that's my that's my take on it. I love Bobble Yellow Legs, even though she's creepy as fuck. So hashtag more witch <laughs> shit.
1: Well, I love that. Oh, my gosh, this is another great thing. Oh, my God i'm so sorry this man has been like mowing the lawn right in front of my window like right in front of my window but for like 20 minutes like bro the lawn is fucking mowed oh my god okay anyway um sorry about that um one of the things that i love about that scene is it really shows like how willie and dorian and selena are to like ignore kale's explicit instructions he's always like don't do anything dangerous and they're like we won't and then they immediately turn around and like dorian offers his secrets basically to the witch and then selena's like i'm gonna do the same thing and i'm going to murder you
0: i know Um, well no not only that like like not only that though selena's like for fuck's sake dorian were you really that stupid to think that she didn't know who you were and she's not gonna tell people about you like like, and that was the thing, like, she didn't, of course, when she first went there, she didn't know that Dorian had gone there right. to learn things. So, like, of course, she's just like, fuck. Okay, great. One more thing to my <laughs> list of to-dos today. <laughs> but anyways, Sorry.
1: Oh ugh, no. No, I, I mean, I think that's it. I think that so much of the series is just, like, Salada cleaning up other people's messes and, like, being fucking tired of it. Um so yeah no it was, a, it was a great scene um i love the fact that like holland is not a character that we talk about a lot because he doesn't really appear very often but i because he's in the periphery i don't mind hearing about him because he like <laughs> cracks me up a little bit like the fact that his mom uh, bought him like a little miniature like ponies in a carriage and he like Ran over her entire garden and like fucked everything up. And the fact that he like requested an entire carnival be hired and commissioned for his birthday, like for a late Yule Miss present, too. Like it's not even Yulemas anymore. It's literally like months after that, and he gets a late like, I just think it's so funny. Um, I but don't. anyway, anyway, um, enough about Holland. <laughs>
0: Um, well, he's just a little bit of a brat, obviously. And he's not by such a, little a brat. And he's a serious brat. I mean, he's just... A, and the fact brat. that, like, you know, his bro is still trying to protect him and stuff. I'm just like, just right. let him. Just let him. Yeah. At this point, just... I mean, who cares, right? Like, well, he's already a terror. If, just go ahead. If anything, <laughs> I think that, like,
1: having Holland there just goes to show how badly we have to root for Dorian to make it out of <laughs> the know. series okay. Like, imagine if Holland were, like, the heir... No, no. What a shit show. Um okay, so speaking of another kind of brat, uh, let's talk about mort real quick. What a sass basket. Listen oh I
0: genuinely love mort. Okay, now Same. here's the thing. Um inanimate objects made <laughs> a- animate is animated. Yeah, thank you. Good lord. Um I'm eating. <laughs> Mind you, I'm muting while Ava's talking to, like, Munch on goldfish crackers. And so, like, m- my brain <laughs> is like... I love
1: goldfish. Oh, Wait, yeah, goldfish me. or cheese its
0: Well, I can't choose between the two. They're both good in okay. their own right. All um right. That
1: was the only answer.
0: Okay, because I don't have Cheez-Its available. Otherwise, it would be Cheez-Its. But right. anyways, I digress. <laughs> my brain is, like, stuck on, like, mm, yum, 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 cheese goodness. <laughs> okay, so... Um, I actually really love more. I I find that to be like, here's the thing. Animals with a a personality in books make me laugh. So like in Bridgerton, in Bridgerton 2, we have Newton, who's this little little corgi who fucks (gasps) shit up like all the time. Um, I'm obsessed with him. Um, And there will be I mean, Fleetfoot even in and of, you know, Fleetfoot likes to fuck shit up too a little bit. like I love, I love anything with flea foot. Um, and then we're gonna get more like awesome animals in future. But um, Mort is a uh, a favorite of mine. Honestly, he's an unsung hero <laughs> for saving the day. Like you know, like Amazing. it's like a dangerous moment. Like you know, clearly Selena's trying to figure some shit out, and he's just like, no, I'm not gonna. I'm just gonna watch you fuck up and. Point and laugh well, at not you only even that, though he has he no like, fingers ma- yeah, yeah he makes fun of her yeah he's <laughs>
1: like you're so dumb and when he, whenever he like brings up the cat the king of Adderlin, he's like yeah I didn't talk to that guy but I know he was smarter than you were <laughs> like so great also yeah, um no he's the best <laughs> I'm just also obsessed with the fact that he laughed when he asked for her name and she told him Selena.
0: He's like he's no. basically
1: like, Yeah, right. Okay, whatever you say.
0: He's like, uh, uh-huh. and oh, I'm the Queen of England. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, no fucks. He's so sassy. I love it. Yeah. I love it. It was awesome. Um Well and I also loved too, whenever Selena went to threaten him, that she was like talking oh, about yes. that she's gonna like cut it like cut the Melt the, him down. Or you melt him down, that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Like, keep fucking around and find out more.
1: <laughs> She's okay. like, I'm not an assassin for nothing.
0: Shut <laughs> exactly, the fuck up. Right? She will even assassinate inanimate uh, objects. But... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh,
1: poor Mort. Um, okay. Shifting gears. Um. I want to talk about this. is not like even a patron requested subject, um, but it's just something that I want to talk about. So we learn via Kale that Rourke Farron, who we all have beef with post the Assassin's Blade, has died, and he was killed by Arabin Hemel's um, bodyguard Wesley. Um, even though he knew that Arabin would have punished him for it, because we know that Arabin and Rourke had kind of worked together at the end of the Assassin's Blade. How did we feel about that? Because I remember that was another thing that I actually completely forgot was in this book. Um, Like I knew it was brought up somewhere, but I forgot that it was in Crown of Midnight. I feel like that was such a, that was one of the things where I was like, what does this have to do with anything when I was reading it? And like, I know having finished the series, what it has to do with But like, I just I think it's interesting. And I also think that that death should have gone to Selena agreed. And I was actually like disappointed to see it in there. I was like, oh, right. She didn't get to take him out.
0: Yeah. Well, and also, I mean, of course, like, yeah, we can't talk too much about things without spoiling things. But that's a common theme, though, uh, in this series, especially later on, like that actually is on the page where it's like, that's not my death. Or like I like like the the vengeance right. isn't just mine type mm-hmm. of thing. Um, so I agree with you. <laughs> so basically <laughs> copy and paste Ava's answer. And that is okay. also my answer. Yes. Awesome.
1: Well, high five, virtual high five. Um, <laughs> Sometimes that doesn't happen. I know. <laughs> Sometimes we're overwhelmingly not on the same page. Well, if we're so not talking about Kale, so. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I know that we kind of covered it, but I will, well, I, I mean, I kind of covered it and talked about it. Um, but when you first read Crown of Midnight, did you predict at any point in the book that Selena was Aitlin? Yes. Okay. I'm glad it wasn't just me.
0: <laughs> well, the reason being because um, there, the A in the Assassin's Blade, uh, especially with the whole like it was a theme with like Sam, you know, like where Arabin was trying to bait Sam about figuring out who, like, talk about Aelin's, uh then Selena's right. origins and that kind of thing. And there were other moments, even with like Nehemia, where she would make a a comment or, you know, like kind of like a. a, Like she would say something that obviously had a double meaning to her. Um, And so it wasn't a shock to me that she when it was revealed, like I was speculating very early on that that's who she was. I was, though, speculating nice. on whether or not Aileen knew for certain. Like, I like I was like, oh, does she have, like, amnesia? And she thinks that that's who she is? Mm. Or, like, you know what I mean? Like, that was what I was more trying right. to figure out. Not necessarily that who she was who she was. Just a matter of, like, okay, is it, like, yeah. suppressed, tr- like, because of the trauma? Like, is it suppressed right. memories? Or, like, you know, that kind right. of thing. But obviously we get more information about baby Aelin (laughs) in future books yeah so
1: oh my heart yeah that one hurts um I think that wraps it up I, I honestly, I'm like super proud of
0: us for keeping that under the hour mark. Like <laughs> Not to say anytime. once Air of Fire is gonna be like a seven part episode oh my where God. it's literally gonna be like how Ava was with the Zaddy's day, which is gonna be me Yeah like talking endlessly <laughs> about things that I love. So um brace yourselves, basically, for Air of Fire and basically any episode after Air of Fire
1: It's just going
0: to be me gushing about the same shit over and over again. But, you know, that's fine. For those who share my same line of thinking, who have read the books and know exactly what I'm talking Mm -hmm. about, high five. (laughs) I
1: can't can't wait to get to um, Empire of Storms for my favorite of the group of new characters that we interact with um so like i won't i won't spoil who that is but come empire yes. storms um i'm just gonna join steph on the train of <laughs> losing our shit uh completely
0: yeah and then kingdom of ash it's literally gonna be me quiet the whole time oh my god. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I feel like between Tower of Dawn and Kingdom of Ash, the like the last books in the series have really done you for a loop.
0: I, well, I mean, but I, I'll have a lot more to say in Tower of Dawn than I would in Kingdom of Ash. And again, it's nothing against these books. It's just Stephanie and her personal experience. Oh God.
1: Dude, sorry. I have beef with this fucking man.
0: Oh, I can't hear it this time. I could hear it the last time, though.
1: I'm glad I'm going to... I'm going to fight. Anyways. I'm going to go. Anyway, uh, thank you so much for tuning into our recap of Crown of Midnight. We hope that you'll join us next week for, I mean, the best book of all time, Air of Fire.
0: Mm -hmm. Slash Staff Gush Fest. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's going to be... I'm really excited for that. One.
0: Gird your loins is all yes, I have indeed. to say um, <laughs> about that. But anywho, um, <laughs> and hopefully if you survive the next book um, and then listen to the next episode, please make sure that you are subscribing, following us across social media, leaving us reviews and ratings uh, again Hopefully the good kind. Um, make sure that you check out our shop. And uh, we've got some really awesome drops that are happening soon. Phantomtastic.com, Patreon.com slash Phantomtastic. And I think I covered them all.
1: Oh, yeah. It's going to be good, guys. Woo. And
0: Thank remember
1: don't let the hard days win
0: that's right again okay. unless you're kale uh, and <laughs> we'll catch you guys next week bye